got a young lady this evening. <laughs> All right, helping us out. Um, but uh, in Exodus chapter 13, we actually have the Exodus as they prepare to leave. Um, and we will find them um, uh, heading out and, uh, and see how God works there. So if you are there yet, and we have gotten those all out for those who are interested in the outline, let's, uh, let's pray and ask God to help us this evening. Uh, Lord, we do need you to open our eyes to behold the wondrous things from your law. Thank you for giving us the, the, this precious book. Thank you that the Old Testament has uh, uh, practical exhortations and information and and uh, things that can help us in life. And I pray that you would direct us today that we would find uh, great hope and help in uh, this passage. Thank you for the Exodus, that you kept your word to the children of Israel, that you worked in a mighty way, and that uh, after the Passover, uh, you allowed them to head to the promised land, just as you said you would. We're thankful, Lord, that all these things happened in your time and pray that now you would help us to just understand the, the real encouraging truths here. And we'll thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher told the story of a woman who lived during the Great Depression. Uh, it was a horrible time in America. You think it's, it's bad when you see what's going on in our society, but there was 27% unemployment at the time. There was little welfare for anyone to claim or expect during that day. And this woman had reached the end of her physical and emotional rope. Her husband's salary was small. It was never enough. Uh, he was uh, sick as well himself. The bank had foreclosed on their mortgage. He was preparing to take their home. They had a huge bill at the grocery store. Their five children were hungry. Their kids needed clothing. Uh, she took in other people's washing and ironing, ironing to earn more, but they were still sinking deeper and deeper into debt. All seemed lost. She couldn't see any hope for the future, so one morning, after the four older children headed off to school, she took her youngest daughter into the bedroom. She then plugged the windows with paper and rags. She turned on the gas heater but didn't light it, and the two of them lay down on the bed. The little girl said, Mommy, why are we laying down? We only got up a little while ago. And the mother said, Never mind. We're going to take a little nap. And then she closed her eyes, and she waited for death to come. She could hear the hiss of the gas coming from the heater. But as she listened in the almost complete silence, she realized she heard something else. It was music coming from the kitchen. She had forgotten to turn off the radio in the kitchen. She listened, and she heard a hymn being sung. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. In the midst of her utter despair, the song touched her heart and touched her mind, and she realized she was making a terrible mistake. She had been trying to fight all her battles alone. She had forgotten to use the resources of God coming from the faith she had in him. So she struggled to her feet. She turned off the gas. She opened the windows and doors, and she began the process of changing her life. It wasn't easy. 
Of course, it wasn't easy. It was a long road, but she discovered that God's ability was equal to anything and everything that she was tempted to worry about. She put all her children through school. Years later, looking back, she was able to rejoice in the hand of God supplying her every need, even in the darkest of days. I draw your attention this evening to Exodus chapter 13. The children of Israel, if you would, have been in, I guess we would say it, some of their darkest days. They've been going through the, the rough difficulty of, of, um, of slavery, um, living under ruthless control for years and years now, uh, various pharaohs that have mistreated them in, in many different ways, and they are poised now to escape that judgment, if you would, and the difficulty they faced all because of the hand of the Lord. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their ability. It wasn't what they had done and what they had accomplished. And in verse 3, we find that truth laid out for us. I've been encouraged as I've read through this chapter, and I would encourage you to do the very same thing because in Exodus chapter 13, we learn some tremendous things about God. But we read these words. Look in verse 3. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. Now he's going to talk about, and we'll get to some of the different things that are found in this chapter. But if I were to say, what is the theme of this chapter? What is the focus of the chapter? I would say a strong enough hand. A strong enough hand. You say, well, you get it just from verse 3? Well, I do get it in verse 3, but I also find it in verse 9. Um, not only in verse 9, but I, I find it as well in verse 14. And I find it in verse 16. And if you can't get the message that God's hand is strong from Exodus chapter 13, you aren't going to get the message. Because four different times, God made a point to tell us that the children of Israel got out, not because they were mighty, but because God has a strong hand. Uh, by the way, the lady in the opening story found out that God has a strong hand. And when you trust in yourself, you will be discouraged when you look to your own self for strength and for meeting needs. But there's a God in heaven who is a great God. And that is a, an encouraging promise and truth that we learn in Exodus chapter 13 as we get to and as we're going through the Exodus. So now we have that wonderful truth and we're going to get to that but before we do, we find some other things in our passage. And so let's begin with this evening, verses 1 and 2, and uh, what they have for us. I have written down in my notes the requirement or redemption. So before we really focus on that wonderful, encouraging truth of verse 3, we find the chapter begins with a requirement. Um, we could have glossed over it. In fact, I really thought, let's just focus on verses 3 and, and, and 9 and what, 14 and 16. But to do so is to skip over something that's important. As we begin the chapter, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And then we read in verse 3, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in the which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the month Abib, 
And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, as he sware unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix. And every firstling that cometh of, the, of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us from Egypt, from the house of bondage. Isn't that a message? Are you, are you starting to get that message? You see it there? Um, and it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrificed the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontless between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. In these first couple verses, and actually in verses 11 to 16, that's why I continued to read, God talked about a requirement or redemption. First, we find the expectation. The expectation is laid out for us really in verse 2. Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. God had an expectation. The expectation was sanctification. That was the command of God. And that is the, the word that, uh, that I said. The expectation was sanctification. God had for every Jew this plan for the rest of their existence, for the rest of their days. Even today, by the way, should happen if they are still a practicing Jew and don't accept Jesus as the Messiah, then they should be involved in and they still should be practicing what God laid out here. And it was to sanctify the firstborn. Firstborn of people, firstborn of animals. Whether, by the way, clean or even unclean, whatever might be the case. Uh, but you know what it means to sanctify? It's interesting. The word here means to make it clean. The idea was that it was to be dedicated, consecrated, or made holy for God because the firstborn was God's. And it was such because he spared the firstborn on that night during the Passover. And thus they were to be his for all of their lives. That was the expectation of God, sanctification. Now the explanation is kind of found in verses 11 to 16, which we took time to read. Verse 11, and it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. This command from God is explained in more detail in, verses, in these verses. And you find that God had a plan. Um, in fact, the, we have the explanation, okay? We have the expectation, sanctification. 
Then we have the explanation. And the explanation was they were to be set apart. Look at verse 12. <coughs> and thou shalt, here he describes in some ways what he meant by sanctify. Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix. So what is sanctification? Well, the word literally means to make it clean, to be holy. But it also means to be, and it carries the idea of being set apart. So the firstborn, whether it was man or whether it was uh, an animal, the firstborn, the firstborn male was always to be set apart to God. Now, obviously, he was not going to call for the killing of the human firstborn because he spared it in, in, our, in our story in the Passover. Um, all those that had the blood. So the point is, there had to be either redemption or there had to be, uh, or, or there, I'm sorry, either there had to be a sacrifice or there had to be redemption, one or the other. Uh, but it was, either one was to be set apart wholly for God. Um, so the firstborn male was God's. One of two things had to happen if they were going to please God. When the first male animal was born, it would be sacrificed on an altar or something in his place. And actually, there was an option, at least one that was brought out in these verses. The firstborn male of a house was not to be offered, but it was to be redeemed. Okay, so what is redemption? I think you probably know because we sing the song all the time, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. But it really is important you understand what redemption is all about. Look in verse 15. Um, he said, uh, and it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and, therefore, and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males. All the firstborn of the children... I redeem. Okay, so what is redemption then? Uh, well, it's pretty easy to explain. You've heard of a story, maybe a wealthy family, uh, an influential family, and their child is kidnapped. And so what, is, what happens often and what follows the kidnapping? Okay, there's a ransom note. There's something sent that says, hey, hey, look, Here's what you need if you want to have your child, you want to ever see your child again. Um, and so uh, this ransom note, uh, this message demands something in the place of the person being held. And you say, what does that have to do with redemption? Well, that's what it means to redeem. Literally, the word means to ransom. It means to release, to preserve, to rescue. So a parent rescued or ransomed their child with the required payment, and that was always a sacrifice. So firstborn male in every family ever to be born in Jewish household, uh, there was supposed to be a blood sacrifice of an animal that was given. The firstborn male animal was to be offered as a sacrifice to God. And God said, that's because they're mine. I, I bought them. And so the ransom was a substitute being sacrificed in the place of the human being. Now, again, I, 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 it has been just amazing to see how God brought these two passages, Exodus and Mark, together at the same time where we've been looking at the crucifixion, we've been looking at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and we've been looking at the Passover. And, and the, there's just such a, 
a, a beautiful, a wonderful parallel uh, between the two. And, and it, it is, it's not uncanny. It was by the, without a doubt, by the design of God that we would see Jesus Christ in the Passover, that we, would, that we would comprehend. In fact, he is called the Passover in the New Testament and that we would see the, 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 really the amazing tie that God made between these things and what they picture. And this redemption is the same idea. That's what Jesus Christ does for everyone who puts their faith and trust in him. God redeems us. He pays the ransom. He pays the price that you and I might have life. And isn't it interesting then, and, and it just happened that we're having the Lord's Supper uh, this evening, isn't it interesting then that the Lord instituted something to remind us of the price Jesus paid, that you and I might be bought out of the slave market of sin. It's a beautiful picture, and, and it was supposed to be, if you would, pictured in every family through every generation all the, up until the, really the time of Jesus Christ. And then what God planned was that the Jews would accept Jesus as the Messiah. That was what his desire was and that they would come to the realization they would be a, what we, term we use today, a completed Jew because they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they would be literally themselves redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, so there's just this wonderful picture. God sent a redeemer into the world to save not just firstborn, but all mankind. And so the, the, the picture is found in this passage once again. And, and it's great because this was something they would never be able to forget because every family, every time a new, a, a new couple gets married and they have a son, this was supposed to go on again. And when anyone questioned, when anyone asked what was going on, it was always an instructive time. It was, we are doing this because God spared the firstborn. And the firstborn is God's. And we are redeeming the, the firstborn. And although there would be no children in the family that would ask the question when they redeemed the, the firstborn male child, we understand that, unless the girl was born first and it came a little bit later. But every time they had an animal that uh, every time an animal brought forth a male, the firstborn of, of, um, of, the, of the litter, that firstborn was going to be offered as a sacrifice. And, you know, quite frankly, people would have said, well, that's crazy. Why would you do that? And it's all because it's God's. It's God's. Um, so can I give you, because I don't want to miss this, I, I, I don't think we can, an exhortation from that as we think of this redemption uh, the exhortation, uh, we have sanctification, we have this idea of being set apart, and, and I, I believe the exhortation for us today from the passage would be surrender. Look, what good is this passage for believers today? All right, we're not Jews. We, we, don't, we don't have to do that. Um, well, we first ought rejoice in the fact the Redeemer was sent for us. And is that all we can glean? Well, no, I think there's another lesson to consider and to think about. God spared the firstborn, and he expected in return the people to say, okay, God, we're yours. And God said, you're mine. The firstborn is mine. Okay, so is there not a parallel? I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 would be the parallel for believers today. All right, God redeemed us, he bought us, and in, in very much the same sense, we're God's. He paid the price, 
He made the sacrifice, just like a lamb paid the price, if you would, for everyone, every firstborn in every Jewish household throughout the land of Egypt. And so the picture would be, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I, I don't think that was a mistake when Paul used the wording he did there. Um, and he tells us that it is our reasonable service. You know, the term reasonable service, it's, it's a well thought out thing. It's reasonable for God to expect those who he has redeemed to present their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So as we begin this chapter, God says, all right, look, you're, you're leaving. You're leaving today. But don't ever forget what I've done for you, and I'm not going to allow you to forget that. Every family is going to be reminded of this. Every time there is a birth, as far as animals concerned, every time there is a, a birth in the, fam in the family, you're just going to be reminded that the firstborn is God's firstborn is God's. He bought it and it needs to be, as far as human beings, it needs to be redeemed. Um, and may we have the same attitude. We've been redeemed by the blood of his son and so he, here's the truth. We're his. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which ye have of God and your you are, ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are his. If you can't see that, that parallel, you're missing a, a wonderful picture in Exodus chapter 13 of what God certainly expects of anyone that's been bought by the blood. I'm his. I'm his. I am his. God owns me. Uh, and I know we don't, we don't like to talk in those terms today, but he does. Pastor Charles Simeon told the story of Henry Martin. He talked first about all about Martin's education. He had a brilliant mind. Henry Martin graduated from Cambridge University, graduated with honors in two areas, both math, mathematics and classics. Without a doubt, he had a promising, successful academic career ahead of him if that's what he desired. But... I, it's interesting, always when I, I see stories in, in the, the files that I look at, I always try to f check it out and see how much is, you know, is true and other things like that. So I went to Wikipedia and it was interesting to me because Wikipedia said this, after a chance encounter uh, with a guy by the name of Simeon, Pastor Charles Simeon, um, Martin made a decision and the decision was to become a missionary. By the way, that wasn't a chance uh, meeting. That was by design of God. So instead of pursuing success in the academic world, which he certainly could have, again, he had a brilliant mind, he packed his bags, he went to India, following the leading of God in his life. He was 25 when he arrived there in 1806. He preached and he studied linguistics. Again, we say he had a brilliant mind, and he did. You say, well, why did he study ling linguistics? Because he wanted the people to have the word of God in their own language, and he knew that that was a great difficulty, that people didn't have a Bible in their language, and so they couldn't read it for themselves. So for six years, he worked in India, impacting lives, preaching the word of God, 
And in the meantime, and in all, every free moment, he translated scripture. He personally translated the New Testament into three different languages during those six years. In 1812, while traveling in India, he came down with great fever and died at age 31. Many people would have thought Martin's life was a waste. Look, how much more could this guy have done? I mean, if he had just stayed, if he had, had stayed where he was, if he had just taken his education and, and used that to study ling linguistics, how much more could he have done? But, but he gave himself to serve in such a place because God called him to serve in such a place. And when uh, this preacher, Charles Simeon, who uh, was the one who influenced Martin in the first place, talked about his life, he said this about Martin. He had a profound sense of the sacredness of time and the greatness of his obligation toward God. And when I read those words, I, I asked myself the question, um, do I? And I ask you the question this evening, do you, do you have a great sense of the, great, the, of the greatness of your obligation toward God? That is a, a beautiful picture in Exodus chapter 13 that was supposed to go on from generation to generation to generation to generation to remind, to remind them all the time. Here's what God did in Egypt. The firstborn is God's. And we have this obligation to God. And that redemption, this beautiful redemption then pictures for us today the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the commitment we should have then to say, I'm God's. And, and I have a great obligation toward him. And may I be committed to that. Then we have a reminder or a rejoicing. In verses 3 to 10 of this passage, uh, there is just this uh, tremendous reminder and a time of rejoicing. There was, there was supposed to be a feast. There was, and, and that was a, a rejoicing about what God had done. And the children of Israel were to do this uh, for, again, the, the rest of their days as far as they were concerned. Now, again, we would say this, if they accepted Jesus as the Messiah, which they should have because he was, then that would have ended at the time of Jesus Christ. But until that time, they were yearly to be reminded of the fact that Jesus Christ had brought them out, a time of remembrance. Well, what were they to remember? Uh, a number of things. Uh, first of all, they were to remember deliverance. They were to remember deliverance. Uh, Notice what he says in verse 3. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day which he came out from Egypt and out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from his place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. Remember this day. Those are the words of Moses to this people. Lest they forget, God instituted a time of celebration and feasting each year that would last for a week. A week every year. Had a week's vacation. It wasn't, well, it was, I guess. It was a break from their daily duties because every day during that week, they were just supposed to rejoice in. And it was a feasting of, of all that God had done for them. And the whole reason for this feast day was to recall had God had, how God had worked on their behalf. Now, 
how important is such a thing as that? Well, you know, we could, we could argue, well, it was important for the children of Israel. But I remind you again today that the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper with the very same thought in mind. And when you look through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over that God instituted various things based on miraculous and wonderful works God did on their behalf. You can see it. When they crossed over the Jordan, we made reference to that. They, they took stones and they put this up. And it was all supposed to be just a reminder all the time. So whenever they came to the Jordan River, if they saw that, that pillar where they had crossed over, you know, generations down the road would be able to say, well, you know what? Our fathers walked over on dry ground. And they took those stones out from the midst of the Jordan River as a reminder that God did a miraculous thing for us. And, and do you know, in, in very much the same way, uh, in, in fact, it, it, it is interesting to me that the Lord took the time on the night in which he was betrayed to take bread and to take the cup and then to say, this you're supposed to do in remembrance of me. And that Paul then later taught it in the book of Corinthians to the church at Corinth. He said, this is what the Lord taught me, Paul said, and this is what you're supposed to do until he comes. You're supposed to remember because, and this is why we've been preaching Mark 15 and we took time to do it, because, because sometimes we just grow so used to hearing the message and we need to be reminded what the Lord has done for us. And so this was uh, an important time for the children of Israel. Um, and I, it's interesting to me that God would even take time. Don't, seriously, wouldn't you have been thinking, let's get out of here. But it seems like this instruction was given to the children of Israel before they left. All right, look, you're leaving. They told you to get out. You're leaving. But before you leave, this is what I want you to know. And it's kind of interesting because you, you read in verse 11, it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. Some there's one or two times where it talks about the Passover. But the point of the matter was, that God wanted to instruct them right now. I have delivered you, don't ever forget it. And I am instituting something right now, this very day, today, that you're going to be practicing from here on out. Wait a second, I got to get packed. <laughs> well, you were supposed to already be packed. I told you you were going to be going. So I want you to know what you're supposed to do. It was a day of, and it's a time of remembrance. First, a remembrance of God's deliverance. Um, Wednesday night, it was great to be able to sing. Um, of uh, counting your blessings, showers of blessings, and then I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. And all three songs, uh, they were reminders of the job that we have to ponder all that God has done for us on a regular basis. And that is the challenge. And it's a challenge that we can glean from Exodus 13 because even the Old Testament things were written for our learning. And if God would institute the Lord's Supper, in, in much the same way to remind us this is what the Lord did to redeem us. He's delivered us. So let's remember it and let's rejoice in it. Um, you know, we, we come to this you know, somewhat sorrowful because of what it meant and what Jesus did, but we should come to it rejoicing because of what it means. I've been freed. Is that not a, a great truth? Isn't that a, a wonderful wonderful thing to be reminded of a time of remembrance of deliverance 
and then a time of remembrance of strength. The opening illustration brought us to verse 3. And just that phrase by strength of hand, four times in one chapter, it should grab your attention. All right, The Passover feast was about remembering deliverance, but it was about remembering God's power. And I tell you, the, the cross is about deliverance, but it's about reminding us, us of God's power. The power of God to reach down and save a wicked sinner destined for hell for all eternity. And in one event, Christ took care of it all. Amazing. The power of God that could work in such a way that the blood of Christ would be sufficient for my sins, past, present, future, and for Brother Farrington's sins, past, present, and future, and for Mrs. Duncan's sins, past, present, and future, and for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, their sins, past, present, and future, and for the sins of everyone in the entire world if they're willing to put their faith in Jesus Christ. It was sufficient. The power of God was so evidenced in, in, in that day to bring uh, about our salvation when he died on the cross. Uh, it's, just, it's just a reason to marvel of the strength, the mighty power of God. You know, we marvel at the, at the creation. We had a great opportunity with the children in Vacation Bible Time to talk about how God made mankind, how God created the world, and how in six days God made all the things that we see. It didn't come about by the process of evolution. And we marvel at that. And, we, and in fact, the psalmist said, when I consider thy heavens, the work of the, thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And yes, we should marvel at that because it shows the mighty power of God. But there was nothing that compares with the blood of Jesus Christ and what it accomplished when he died on the cross. And yes, in six hours, God's work of salvation was completed and taken care and, and it took care of everything that you and I needed in order to be saved. So a time of remembrance, of deliverance, and a time to remember of God's strength. God asked Israel a question, and we know the answer to it in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 2, God said, Wherefore, when I came, was there no man? When I called, was there none to answer? And God then asked this question, Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? And so then God talks a little bit further, and he says, Behold, at my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish stinketh. Isn't that a great statement? Because there is no water, and dieth for thirst. And that's all by the hand of God. I clothe the heavens with blackness, he said, and I make sackcloth their covering. Now it's interesting, because in that very passage, God talked to Israel and he said, but the reason I won't hear you is because your sins have separated between you and your God. So they had rebelled against God. They had gone their own way. But God was saying, look, I would work miraculously and wonderfully for you because I have great ability. I can do exceeding abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. 
in Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, he wrote, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. And look, we just need to be reminded of the fact that the hand of God is, is big enough. The hand of God is bigger than my problems today. The hand of God is bigger than, than my frustrations. The hand of God is bigger than my financial difficulties, my health problems. The hand of God is bigger than, than, than anything that will ever come my way in life. It's, it's bigger than the greatest struggle I'll ever have. The hand of God is certainly available for his children. And um, those are just a few of the wonderful promises that we find in Exodus chapter 13. And we're going to finish the chapter, Lord willing, next week. And you're going to find there's a, a number of other things that we find about that we're supposed to remember in these verses. And then as, as well, we're going to just see some, uh, finally, some realities uh, in the last part of the chapter. So let me ask you to do this. And I say it in sincerity. If you have time between now and next Sunday night, read Exodus chapter 13. It really is wonderfully encouraging, not just, not just from the standpoint that you look at it and say, the children of Israel are getting out just like God said. But it's encouraging because there are numerous things we learn about God that encourage us for today because they're still true. And God still has a strong hand to save. You know that. Not just salvation from sin and the power and, the pres and someday the presence of sin, but his hand is not shortened that it cannot save from any difficulty and any struggle in life. We serve a great God, and may we rem remember that. And then uh, may we remember that we're gods. He bought us. And um, it's a story of redemption here in this passage and it's important for us to remember God has done the same for us and he demands the very same thing that he demanded of them and it's this that we would live holy for him because we're his we're his uh, let's uh, bow our